And now, it's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a very special edition of the Lace Them Up podcast. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Duboff. And joining us today, um, he was drafted in 2009, first-round pick by the Montreal Canadiens. And uh, he's got quite the hockey journey, and we're very excited to chat with Louis LeBlanc. Louis, thanks so much for joining us today. We appreciate it very much. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to be on. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's kind of a dream guest for us to get because – when we started this show, we always I, I wanted to get at least one NHL player on the show, so we got it. So, <laughs> yay. Uh, so that's a good thing here. Uh, we're going to start things off with starting from the very beginning of when you first started playing hockey. Um, so who introduced you to the sport and was hockey love at first sight? Yeah, so, you know, my I don't come from a... Um, I guess a sporting family. My, my parents never really played sports, but, you know, growing up in Montreal, um, as a young kid, my dad took me skating. I think I was around two and a half, three years old and, um, brought me skating and, uh, you know, I, I fell in love with the game and, uh, with, with hockey. And I guess I was a pretty good skater at a young age. So my dad, uh, decided to continue to enroll me in, in hockey practices and, um, you know, signed me up for the, the minor hockey association where I grew up in Kirkland, uh, suburb of Montreal. So I, I guess that's how it started. Um, and, and yeah, I, I fell in love with the game and I, I was a pretty good at a young age. So I think, uh, you know, everything was, was pretty easy uh, growing up, um, you know, playing hockey. But um, yeah, it was a great game. And, you know, I, I enjoyed, you know, every year that I've played since, I guess, three or four years old. Yeah. Now, but before I get to, to, to the next question, Louis, I'm very, very curious. Did you ever see an NHL game at the Montreal Forum? Because a lot of people my age were pretty young. Um, I was born in 93, so the Forum closed, and I think it was like 95, 96, around there. So didn't really get a chance to go to like any of the old-school NHL burns. But if I had to go back in time, it's something that I would definitely do. Did you ever... In, in your memory, see a game, a Habs game at the Forum? No, unfortunately not. Um, but I, Worth I, asking. Yeah, no, I, I definitely did go to the Molson Center. It was called the Molson Center. Um, yep. I was growing right. up and then it went to the Bell Center, I believe, and still yep. at the Bell Center. So, yeah, no, unfortunately never um, never been to the old Forum. I mean, I've been in it now. I think it's a movie theater and I think a shopping center. So, um, but yeah, no, definitely... Um, would have been cool to to see that you know historic building and watch watch a game um, in that building. I do know that there is a section of what the forum used to be where they kept like some of the seats, but that's the closest thing to the forum you're going to get these days. So, so yeah, it's it definitely different look, but um, there's a little bit of the forum in there. Mm. Um, now I assume uh, that. Um, you're around six foot zero because according to league prospects, it says you're that oh, when you got drafted by Montreal. I'm just curious what player you tried to model your game after, like maybe when you were growing up and as you're chasing your big league dreams, who did you, who did you model your game after and what kind of player would you describe yourself in terms of the way that you played? 
Yeah, so growing up, um, coming from Montreal in the West Island, so I'm from Kirkland, like I said earlier, it's a suburb of Montreal, and then growing up, my favorite player was Vinny LeCavalier. He was also from um, a suburb of Montreal nearby where I grew up called Il Bazaar. So growing up, I think most players, most French-Canadian players from my area really admired Vinny LeCavalier. Uh, but growing up and, and, you know, when I started, you know, moving up the ranks, I really enjoyed watching a guy like Patrice Bergeron and um, really took, takes pride in, in playing well in the both sides of the ice. So um, so I think, you know, as I, you know, moved, you know, up levels, I, I really tried to focus on, on both ends of the ice. And, you know, I never got to the level where he, you know, he's still playing, has the great NHL career but you know when I was you know trying to, to become a player it was somebody that I really admired and respected and you know I had the chance to play against him I think probably two or three games against the Bruins so um, definitely a player that I admire and you know still going strong in the NHL and you know players um, you know growing up definitely could admire a player like that you know he works so hard on and off the ice and does everything so well so yeah I, I think that that player, Patrice Bergeron, would be the player that I, you know, try to, um, I guess, copy. Um, yeah. um, you know, trying to make it to the to the NHL. Did you ever get to meet uh, like Cavalier and Bergeron when uh, when you were an NHL player, or even before or after that? So I've met uh, Vinny Lecavalier at a few times. I don't think I've ever met Patrice Bergeron. Um, you know, my first agent actually was uh, Vinny Lecavalier's brother, so I did meet oh, that's cool. uh, ah. him a few times um, as a younger kid. And I think Vinny might have retired by the time I got to the NHL. Um, so um, never played against him, I don't think. But um, Patrice Bergeron never um, – I don't think I've ever met him uh, formally. But you played against him, I would imagine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I think I played against the Bruins two or three times in my short stint in the NHL. Yeah, yeah. And, um, he was definitely playing, so that was a cool moment. Cool. Um, in 2009, so um, in 2009, you were drafted 18th overall by your hometown team, Montreal Canadiens. Uh, just, uh, I want you to take us through your draft day experience. Did you know? Did you know that you'd be a first round pick? Or do you have, like, a feeling that you would be? Yeah, I, I definitely had a feeling. You know, I had the combine, I believe, a month or two months before, and I met with pretty much all the teams. And, you know, everybody was, you know, the, between 15 and, you know, 30. All the teams were really interested. And, you know, they said that, you know, there was a chance that it would they would pick me. But the two teams that really stood out were uh, Buffalo at 13 and Anaheim at 15. And um, I had met both of those teams uh, the day before the draft in Montreal. And there, you know, they told me that if I was available at 13 and for Buffalo, they would draft me. And then Anaheim said the same thing at 15. If I was available at 15, they would draft me. So, you know, going into the draft, um, I had a pretty good feeling that I was going to get drafted in the first round. Where, I didn't really know. But, you know, as I sat there with my family and the picks were going through, you know, Buffalo... It was Buffalo's turn at 13, and I was still available. So I, you know, I had a pretty good feeling that I'd get drafted to Buffalo. You know, given the fact that they told me the night before that they would pick me, but right. you know, they ended up picking Zach Cassian, um, right. and then Anaheim came. So I'm like, oh, I got another chance, maybe at 15 with Anaheim, and it didn't happen. I think they picked Peter Holland, yep. and then and then after that, I really didn't know <laughs> where I was going to fall. So um, kind of stressful. 
um, to wait. But, you know, I had to wait three extra picks from 15 to 18. So it wasn't too bad of a wait, but couldn't have asked for a better, um, I guess, scenario. Yeah, and um, and like uh, we we interviewed um, an NHL prospect um, a couple weeks ago, maybe a month ago, named Jack Adams, who a couple of years ago was drafted in the Detroit by the Detroit Red Wings, and he was a sixth round pick. So definitely not as big of a weight there, but it, it seems like when you're like like in that part of the draft, the first round, that takes like three to four hours so mm-hmm, yeah. it definitely feels like a long wait uh, at first um now in your draft year you um you, you did a lot in the ushl um you had 28 goals and 59 points in 60 games guys like tory krug and craig smith uh played in the ushl that season only one rookie put up more points than you did no one on your team posted more points and you were top 10 in league scoring so it was a pretty big year Mm-hmm. And I know that we hear a lot about the scouting combine and most years it's a key tool when you're drafting players, but in a couple of years down the road, it ends up being kind of like a minor footnote. I'm just kind of curious what the scouting combine experience was like. And um, if, if that was kind of like brought about in like the interview process with teams. Yeah. So my, my combine experience was in Toronto and I believe now they should to that to Buffalo, uh, the New Harbor Center in Buffalo. I think that's where they do the combine. Yeah, now. I but, think so too, yeah. So uh, during my time, uh, you know, I flew down to Toronto and uh, your agent sets that up and you get like a, basically a list of all the teams and all the meetings and it's 48 hours, I believe, for college eligible players. So I, so they make it, you know, condensed in 48 hours given the NCAA regulation. So first day is pretty busy it's all day interviews that last i think like half an hour and teams grill you on questions on your you know your character your hockey your hockey skills your hockey you know um just just overall questions about your hockey career and your path and then you know the big thing for me was why was i going to college and especially harvard so that that was the big big concern for most teams is why was i deciding to go to college and you know I think the old school theory is, you know, if you want to become a hockey player, you go to the junior major league. So, you know, a few teams knocked me for that. And, you know, they were you know, basically told me if I was going to junior route, they would draft me higher. So anyways, I was, I was set on Harvard. I already committed to Harvard and, that, and that's where I wanted to go. So, so that was, you know, the first part of the combine and the interviews. And then the second day was the physical testing, uh, which started off, you know, really early in the morning. And you know, I forget how many tests there are might have changed over the years um but i think it's like 10 12 tests you run through that and then you're done basically i was done at like noon and then i went back home and um you know didn't hear back um until you know a few days before the draft um if other teams were wanting you know follow-up questions and whatnot so you know the combine is a great experience i think i forget how many players they invite i think it's the top I think 120 prospects and uh, everybody's there all agents all teams so just gets you know get your feet wet a little bit meet the teams and i guess it's more for the teams to get to know the players and understand you know their physical abilities and strength and weaknesses and you know helps them solidify their list their draft list yeah i, I guess we'll go a, a little bit later we have a question later on about your college stuff but it's interesting how nowadays like there's so like the path to from college hockey to the NHL is a lot easier than it was even ten years ago when you were drafted. So it's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, um, no, exactly. Yeah. Um, how did you handle the... So, you're also French-Canadian, you grew up in Quebec. Um, how did you handle the extra pressure of being a French-Canadian kid um, as a first-round pick of a team whose identity is in large part being, like, French-Canadian, or it's a big part of their their franchise? Yeah, I mean, definitely challenging at times. Um, draft day was pretty intense. Um, you know, I think my picture was on every cover of every newspaper in right. you know, every every news outlet wanted an interview, every TV station wanted an interview. So yeah, it was definitely um pretty hectic summer. But you know, the nice thing about it was I was leaving for, for Boston and then Harvard in the fall. So I got drafted June twenty sixth and then late August I was gone and you know nobody really knew me when I got the campus and in Boston. So kind of, you know, got away from the limelight, you know, for at least a year. And then, um, you know, I'm sure we'll cover this later, but, you know, and, you know, I got to Harvard and decided to leave after my freshman year. But you know, going back to your pressure question, yeah, definitely playing in a market like Montreal, Toronto, Boston, um, you know, there, there's pressure for every player on the team. But, you know, you know, when you're from there, there's obviously more more expectation from, you know, the fans. And, and yeah, I mean, everywhere you go, you get recognized and asked questions and, and you know, Till this day, if I'm in Montreal, you know it's a lot less than when I used to play. But you know, people will ask me the questions about the you know the current team. You know, questions about when I played, questions about my career. So fans are super passionate, and, and you know that's why it's one of the best cities to play in. Um, when you're winning, of course, and when you're losing, it could be a little you know more difficult. But um, you know, it's the price to pay to play in front of the best fans. You know, I would say probably in the world. Yeah, I, I, I know, like, a lot of people, you know, when people think of Canada, they just think about, like, people that, like, really love hockey. Like, that's all they do. They, they like, they, like, um, have a jar of maple syrup or whatever, and they're, like, watching a hockey game. I feel like that's the Canadian stereotype. I feel that Quebec has the same kind of passion for hockey as people in Texas have for football. Like, even the mm-hmm. high school games are must-see events. Like, they right. eat, they breathe the sport. And unless you're a diehard Nordiques fan, if you live in Quebec, you're probably a Habs fan. And that fan base is very loyal to the team that uh, Canadians franchise has a lot of history. Patrick Waugh played for them, Jean Beliveau, Henri Richard, Maurice Richard, today Jonathan Drouin, and just to name a few. And this is a situation I feel that very few people can relate to, and people have to be in your shoes to kind of understand the pressure of being a French Canadian for playing for the Habs. So I'm just curious, how do you handle the extra pressure of being in that landscape? And did you have like a game plan? Did you just like, was it as simple as just not focusing on the white noise and just having fun out there? Yeah. And you know, in a perfect world, yes. Um, you know, you, I was young at the time. I was like 20, 21. So yeah, things are happening quickly. I mean, I started off in the minors, get called up. To the big team, big club in Montreal. So, um, yeah, you know, I think the important thing is just staying focused and doing your job on and off the ice, you know, in the weight room or, you know, obviously during practices or games. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the hockey seasons happen so quickly and you're so busy, you're always traveling, you're always practicing. And, and on your days off, you know, you want to try and rest and recuperate. So, um, you know, I think I did a pretty good job of staying focused and, like you said, trying to eliminate the, 
the, the extra noise that's not necessary. But yeah, sometimes, you know, it's harder when your team's losing five in a row and, the, you know, the media's harping on you and, and writing things about you in the paper that, you know, probably are not the nicest things. But, you know, it's part of the game. And, um, you know, every player that played in Montreal, you know, whether they've won a cup or 10 cups, you know, at, at one point or another have been criticized for X, X reason. So, um, you know, it, it's part of part of playing in a market like Montreal and, you know, I think if you interview every player that's ever played for the team, you know, have only great things to say about the city and the fans. So, um, yeah. So, Pierce, I skipped a question here, but we can, I, I think you can answer it pretty quickly here. Um, so, how did it feel since you grew up in Quebec and you're playing for the Canadians must have been amazing, amazing feeling. Um, so on the positive end of that, um, how did it feel putting on that jersey every night? Yeah, it was an unbelievable feeling. Um, you know, start with my draft day and a lot of emotions. You know, you have all your friends, your family, and the crowd. And, you know, it's about you, but it's also about the people, and my parents especially, who've, you know, all the sacrifices, all the hours driving me to practices, thousands mm-hmm. of dollars in training and, you know, traveling tournaments, hotels, and, and all that. So, it's you know, it's a huge sacrifice for parents, and they didn't have to do it. They could have, you know, put me in another sport or... Right. You know, put me in an instrument. So, I mean, I was very lucky. I mean, I think it's a lot of hard work, but, you know, it's at the end of the day, you have to be also lucky and things have to fall into place. So, yeah, I mean, I was lucky. I worked very hard and, you know, I also had great parents that supported me and, you know, gave me the opportunity to go to these tournaments and practices and hockey camps and personal trainers and personal practices. So, yeah, you know, it's, you know, wearing that jersey was definitely a great feeling for myself, but, you know, I think it was, you know, an accomplishment for, for everybody that's helped me, you know, throughout my career, all my coaches and, you know, my family to support, you know, I right. guess financial support, but also mental support and emotional support when things are not going so well. So, um, yeah, I mean, finally playing that first game is, 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 like I said, it's for yourself, but also all the people that have helped you. Of course. And since I skipped a question, Steve, you can, You'll get the next question after this, but I have to make up for the skip question here. Uh, so, um, you you played for Team Canada in the 2011 World Juniors. Me and Steve have been obsessed with watching the World Juniors now, so we're kind of <laughs> we're in the World Juniors state of mind now. Um, you had seven points in seven games. Uh, that was fourth for Canada in scoring in that tournament. Um, you played alongside notable players uh, now like Braden Shen, Tyson Berry, Ryan Ellis, Sean Couturier, and Ryan Johansson. Um, but uh, Canada won silver that year. Uh, what was it like to represent your country and um, have something to show for it? Yeah, I, I guess, you know, when I look back at my career, that's, you know, that's that tournament is definitely something that I always remember. It's it was a great experience. You know, the the outcome wasn't what we had expected and what we wanted and hoped for. I mean, we gave ourselves a great chance to win Rope 3-0 in the third period, lost 5-3 against the Russians. So, obviously a big disappointment overall, but um, on a personal level, it was great. Um, you know, I did well. You know, I put up some decent numbers um, and... Yeah, I mean, representing your country is always an honor, and you know, I did it twice with the under 18s, and then which we won gold, and then at the you know World Juniors, which we got silver. So great honor. Um, played with some of the best players in the world. 
And, um, you know, those are definitely moments that, you know, I cherish till this day. You know, I, you know, I have to be honest, I haven't watched too much World Juniors this year. I've been, you know, really busy with work. But, you know, I'm, I'm proud to say that I've played in that tournament and, you know, competed at the international level. And, um, you know, definitely great memories when I, when I do watch some of the games. Cool. Yeah, like in the World Juniors, like um, when it was in Ottawa two years prior, I went to the gold medal game and watched Canada-Sweden. I watched that game. Two years later, you were playing in that gold medal game. So, like, mm -hmm. to be a part of a spectacle like that, I'm sure a lot of Canadians would, would probably fight people for for a spot on that team. So to, that's that's not nothing. To get a silver medal, it's not gold, cool, but, like, yeah. it's still something, and it's, and it's definitely a great moment to be a part of and something to look back on. Now, um, your first year with the Montreal Canadiens, um, in, in that 2010-2011 um, window, um, you eventually did play in the Quebec Major Junior League. You played one year with the Montreal Juniors. It says uh, on your Wikipedia page that your rights were traded from Valdor to Shakutami, then Shakutami to the Montreal Juniors. And then after that, when the juniors moved to Blainville-Boisbriand to become the Armada, uh, had you played in 2011-2012, you would have played in the Schwinnigan Cataract. But you turned pro with the Habs. I'm kind of curious what Habs players uh, reached out to you um, during your NHL days and were the most supportive throughout your, hockey uh, with, uh, throughout your hockey journey. And if you still keep in contact with them uh, these days, even though um, you have other things on the go. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, the, the player that, you know, was the most helpful, I would say, in my short stint with the Canadians is Matthew Darsh, um, you know, French-Canadian guy, which is, you know, he's now with Tampa as, I think, uh, director of hockey operations. So, you know, Darshi, um, you know, was very helpful throughout my career. And, you know, till this day, we still talk on a regular basis. Um, and I still, you know, you know, run into some players in the summers and, and stuff like that that I've played with. But, you know, I have to say that Matthew Darsh is definitely somebody and, you know, it kind of was a mentor for me. In Montreal, he was on the older side, you know, at the tail end of his career. So, you know, he's very helpful. And, uh, you know, till this day, we still have a good friendship. And, um, you know, I thank him for that. And, you know, he, you know, he's doing great now in his post-career. You know, just won a Stanley Cup in his first year working in the front office for the Tampa Bay Lightning. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I guess that makes sense, too, like, be in contact with other French Canadians who had mm -hmm. same experiences with, so that makes sense. Um, so so now we get to the college question here. So after you were drafted, you decided to enroll in Harvard, um, which is, so by the way, I live in Boston, so <laughs> Harvard's across the river from me. Um, so, yeah, you're uh, getting into Brett's domain yeah, now. Exactly. <laughs> so, and I love college hockey too. But um, So yeah, what... Um, and, and you said it like during the interview process, you were kind of criticized for, for going to, to, to a rolling in Harvard instead of playing in like the Quebec leagues, which is, um, interesting nowadays because it feels like more and more team players go to college, um, hockey instead. Um, but, um, but yeah, so why, what, what made you decide to enroll in Harvard instead of playing in QMJHL? You probably get this question all the time now. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, both my parents educated and, you know, Harvard and, and, you know, other schools were interested in me. And, um, you know, we went to visit a bunch of campuses at 
you know, when I think I was like 16 or 17 and, and ultimately landed on Harvard and, and coached the model there and the program and the education. So, you know, it was, you know, all campuses coming from Canada, uh, every U.S. campus is, is great and beautiful. And, you know, we visited BC, BU, and, you know, everybody, they'll have great schools, great programs, great arenas, great facilities. So, you know, it was kind of a hard decision, but I think at the end of the day, like, Coach Donato played in the NHL for, for a long time and, you know, sold me on the program and the hockey and the school. So, yeah, I mean, I was super excited to go. I went for a year, played there, and, you know, obviously, um, you know, I was – um, you know, I had to make a decision after my freshman year on what I wanted to do and um, ended up, um, you know, leaving after my freshman year. So um, to, to, to go to the queue. So, you know, I kind of have an interesting story is, you know, I played both in the queue and, you know, the NCAA. So, um, you know, but going back to the Harvard question, I think it's um, I think the combination of both just really um excited me and um you know i got the best of both worlds and you know super super excited to to have gone there and, and graduated and um and then you know still still follow the team and then still talk to a lot of those guys really? so um some of my best friends come from from that school yeah, yeah and it's it's kind of interesting because like back in those days in like 2008 2009 thereabouts um, Sidney Crosby was a few years removed from playing in the QMJHL and in college hockey, the likes of Jack Eichel and Johnny Gaudreau, uh, didn't make their names at college hockey at that point. So yeah. it was, I guess, a bit of an odd route to take, but, um, it was, it must've been a path that definitely intrigued you because, um, there were a lot of, uh, NHL players playing in the queue. There was Sean Couturier, uh, in your season when you played there, uh, Jonathan Marchessault as well. So, the fact that you went to Harvard and were actually nominated for ECAC Rookie of the Year in your own seat in your lone season there, and you were one of the team leaders in goals, assists, and points. Um, that that's a lot that you did in in that one season too. And I I believe the fact that you turned pro um, essentially kind of like terminated your chances of like continuing with Harvard. So that's 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 the laws of the land. However unfortunate it is, but. Um, yeah. I, I would think probably if not turning pro, you would have, you would have played a bit longer there. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I'm just also kind of curious, um, the challenge, uh, the challenges that one faces as a first round pick, because I feel, I feel like the expectations, uh, if you're a six round pick or a seventh round pick, it's like, if you play in the NHL, oh, that's great, mm -hmm. you know, but it's not like a first round pick. Like you're expected to kind of like make a big splash. And I believe, I think one of the guys was either in your draft year or the year before named Scott Glennie. He was a top 10 pick. Right. And I don't think he played 10 NHL games in his career. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm just curious what kind of challenges you face as a first round pick that us fans and hockey analysts may not understand. Yeah, I think, I think you, you, you said it. I mean, you, people expect you to score goals every every game and then they expect you to make a difference and, and you know you get drafted at 18 and not everybody's NHL ready at 18 and you know only a yeah. few players are Sidney Crosby or Connor McDavid or you know John Tavares you know I think every year there's like two or three players that you know make an impact in the NHL in their first game so I, th I think the hardest thing is the expectations you know fans and Right. You know, I think most times, I think teams realize that, hey, like if we pick a player 25th overall, like he might not be helping us for the next two, three years. Um, 
So I, th- I think it's at the fan level, and you know they expect you and you know to be scoring fifty goals, and if you don't, then you're a failure. So I, I think that was the hardest part. But you know, at the end of the day, once you get the camp, whether you're drafted first or you're drafted in the, you know, I think there's only seven rounds now. You know, it, when the puck drops, the puck doesn't you know really care what position or yeah. what pick you were, and you know, the hardest workers will will make it and it'll be successful so um yeah yeah, yeah at, the end of the, at the end of the day you got drafted by the habs and you played nhl hockey like that's not nothing yeah, that's that's, that's so definitely something kind of, you know so yeah definitely closer than any of us could have gotten <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> um so um in your first stint in the nhl you were coached by uh Jockus Martin, and I guess Randy Cunningworth was also in there. So I don't know if you were coached by both of them at the same time, or not at the same time, but if you had them as coaches uh, as well. And then your second stint, you had um, Michelle Therrien um, mm-hmm. when you were in Montreal. Uh, what were they like? It's kind of interesting just from our perspective where we just, we know their reputation as being hard-nosed guys, all, all three of those guys, but... Um, yeah, what was it like on the in the locker room and, and day-to-day stuff? Yeah, so my first coach was Jacques Martin, and he got fired, and then Randy Cunningworth took over. So, okay. yeah, I think both those guys really liked me. They were there uh, when I got drafted, um, especially Jacques was there. And, you know, we got I got to know him over the years, and I think he gave me a fair shot, fair chance. And I, I think, um, you know, I, I think he... he he um, appreciated me as a player, and um, you know, my first year, he, you know, I played forty-two games, and you know, you know, unfortunately, he got fired, and then Randy Cunningworth took over, and then he, he ultimately got fired at the end of the year as well. So, um, and then, like you said, second time around, I had Michelle Terry, and I think I only had eight games under him, so I can't really, you know, speak, okay. you know, speak about him. But yeah, I mean, um, you know, they're all they're all different coaches. Um, they all have different styles, and. But, you know, at the end of the day, pro hockey is all about winning and, you know, they, they'll do anything they can to win because, you know, their job's on the line as well. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I obviously have more, you know, personal connection with a guy like Jacques Martin versus Michel Therrien, just given the fact that, you know, Jacques Martin was there when I got drafted and I played mostly under Jacques. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I see. Also, kind of curious because Michelle Terrien has a reputation of being a tough nose, no garbage uh, kind of coach. And wondering, I know he only played uh, like eight NHL games under his regime, but like, did you kind of like experience that in a way? And like, how how did the coaching styles of Michelle Terrien uh, differ from uh, guys like Jacques Martin and guys like Randy Cunningworth? Uh, maybe you already yeah, uh, explained I mean, I mean, about that earlier, but. Yeah, I think what you said is kind of right. Uh, but they're all, you know, all from the same kind of generation, I think. But Jacques yeah. Martin was more of a, you know, I think of a communicator, more patient. Um, um, but yeah, you know, Michelle is definitely more, I would say, intense and, um, you know, definitely maybe harder um, with his tone of voice or uh, I don't know. Like, they're just different. Um, the way they, they, they try to get their message across is, is definitely different. But you know, they're all as intense and they all want to win, you know, right. in level. It's just, I guess, the way that they express themselves. And, um, yeah. Uh, so this is a similar question to what we've already asked before, I guess. But 
Uh, would you say it's e harder or easier for a Quebecer uh, to secede in Montreal? Um, yeah, I think it has to be harder. Um, you know, you could you could look at the current team and a guy like Jonathan Drouin, um, who's a great player, but you know he gets you know media's on him every night, and if Jonathan Drouin turns the puck over, well, it's on the highlight the next morning, and right. they're going to ask him for the whole week, and if he doesn't score. Every night or doesn't get a point every night, then, you know, if he gets two points, they're going to say, why don't you get three points or four points? So, <laughs> it's definitely harder. And, you know, I, I know Jonathan, he played for the same midget team that I played for. And we used to train together in the summers. And he's a great player. And, yeah. um, you know, hopefully people, you know, start appreciating him more a little bit in the city. But, you know, he's doing he's doing fine. He's doing you know, the best he can. I know Jonathan wants to win. And, and help the Canadians win a cup ultimately, but definitely harder. Um, the expectations are just that much higher and, um, you know, you're just you know, under the microscope, um, you know, every step you take. Of course. Now, uh, you, you bounced uh, from the AHL and the NHL uh, after the rookie season. Uh, eventually, uh, you're traded to the Anaheim Ducks. And I was looking at the AHL stats um, during your lone, se- lone season with the Norfolk Admirals, uh, the uh, Ducks affiliate at the time, I believe. And it says you were top 20 league-wide in shots on goal, almost 200 shots um, that season. And in your debut season with the Bulldogs in Hamilton, you had 22 points in 31 games. So after that winds down, you end up with the New York Islanders. Sadly, it doesn't work out well. And for 2015-16, you play in three different European leagues. It started in the KHL, then you move to the Slovak Extra Liga, and then uh, the journey ends in the Swiss National League. I'm just kind of curious, what of those leagues was the most challenging for you to transition? Well, um, you know, that, that year was definitely interesting. Like you said, I, I had signed with the New York Islanders. I went to camp and I, I broke my orbital bone. And so I was out for a few weeks during camp and uh, I got an offer from a KHL team, uh, which was in actually in Slovakia, Bratislava. And, you know, I was a point in my career where I said, you know, I'm going to give Europe a try. So I went, didn't really work out you know, really well, um, had no points, uh, you know, also had visa issues with, you know, work visa, couldn't play in Russia. So, you know, I was, wasn't playing and, you know, I was only practicing, so I couldn't really, you know, get my, couldn't find my legs and it was just, just an awful, you know, season experience. And then, you know, they sent me to the, you know, the Slovakian league to try and get some games and, and get my confidence back and, and, you know, ultimately play some games. And then I came back and, wasn't working and then I got a call from Swiss League the team in Lausanne and they said you want to come finish the season here and I said sure I mean I wasn't playing in Slovakia anyway so I said yeah I'm gonna go try it out so went there played a few games did all right but um, you know in terms of you know the most challenging transition I think you know definitely going to the KHL the language barrier the Russians you know different style of hockey and the first time that I was not the first time playing in Europe, but, you know, the first time that I was playing there full time and it was definitely a transition. And, um, so yeah, I mean, I ended up in, in Lausanne for my last game and came back home and, you know, that's when I decided to, um, retire from the game and get back to school. Nice. Just kind of like off the board, did it kind of feel like you're, I don't want to say like misplaced, but did you kind of feel like your love of the big game was kind of like in jeopardy at that point? Because I would imagine, like, going from 
like three leagues in one season, you're just kind of like, eh. like hockey for some people just like has to be fun in, in order right. to like really enjoy it, right? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a challenging year, and you know, uh, that year was I had a, I mean, I wasn't playing much, so I had a lot of time to question myself and question my career and you know, question my, my next steps and. Um, you know, I was at 25 at that age and, you know, I thought, you know, it was the best time for me to, to, um, you know, hang up my skates and, you know, I waited till the end of the summer and, you know, evaluated the offers that I had in Europe. I had a few offers to go in different leagues, but, you know, I wasn't ready to go back and I didn't want to keep bouncing around. And so, you know, hung up my skates and, and went back to Boston. Right. And at that point, was it like more focused on just like, what were you like uh, thinking? Oh, I can like, like have some like be involved in hockey in some way, just just like maybe like in the coaching or like the broadcasting side of things. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, when I retired, I went back to school and called Teddy Donato, who was just still the coach then and still is today, and got involved with the team and helped the team out for three years. I was on, you know, went on the road with them, practiced with them as their coach, obviously, and right. just three years. That was a great experience and. Um, very fulfilling. I was able to share my experiences um, with with the team, with the players, with the staff. So, um, really positive experience That's overall. Cool. And you know, hopefully one day, um, you know, I can get back in the hockey world. So yeah, yeah, that's cool. That as you mentioned, you're you're still involved in the Harvard hockey. <laughs> it seems, but do you still follow hockey now, even if it is just college and? Um, if so, who is the player you love watching play? Yeah, I mean, I try to watch games the NHL when I can. Um, you know, a player. I mean, I think I have to say Connor McDavid is just such a dynamic and, and fun player to watch. So I'd have to say him. But you know, when I go to Harvard, I, I watch the team sometimes. Right. And um, you know, I, when I was there, there's players that are still there now graduating this year. So. Um, you know, uh, starting next year, I won't know anybody uh, <laughs> anymore. But you know, gonna keep hanging around and then going to as much games as I can and continuing to support the program. That's cool. Yeah, I feel like Connor McDavid. It's it's like his skating. It's just like you know, it's him skating. Like when he goes from like zero to a hundred, like yeah. no other like skates like that guy, and he just makes it look so effortless. I'm kind of wondering uh, during your time at Harvard or. Um, like watching like NCAA hockey, is there like one guy where you go, man, this guy's so fun to watch, or it's great to work with this guy uh, whenever I'm on the ice, like whether it's Harvard or, or another team that you've noticed uh, in college or in the pro level? Um, either either or, um, but um, but college, yeah. If there's anyone that comes to mind, uh, feel free to mention that. Well, I mean. Uh... I think just being at Harvard, I was able to coach, you know, both of these guys, like a guy like Alex Kerfoot and, and Ryan Donato, they were so dominant at the college level and um, just great people off the ice as well. And, you know, I'll still talk to both of them. So, um, you know, those guys, you know, you know, Ryan just got traded to, to San Jose and trying mm-hmm. to you know get his career going again, but he's still young and still a great player and, Proved it at you know the Olympics was a great force for the USA team and um, yep. so yeah I mean those guys um, definitely um, you know were very impressive to me at the college level when I was around with the team. Okay, um, I, I guess we'll we'll end this with the last question here. So, 
looking back at your hockey career, what was something you were the most proud of, and do you have any regrets? Um, the most proud of probably my first game, honestly. Um, you work so hard your whole life to to achieve the National Hockey League, and it's a childhood dream. And you know, I remember the day I got called up, and my first game was in Anaheim, and. Um, you know, that was something that was, I think, you know, the most proud of. And then, you know, obviously your first goal and all that stuff. But the first game is like, wow, I've, I've made it. I've, you know, I'm wearing the jersey for real and I'm skating mm-hmm. in a real game. And, um, you know, that's definitely a moment I'll never forget. And then any regrets? Not really. Um, would I have done things differently? You know, of course. Um, but um, no, no major regrets, really. Uh, just wondering uh, what you're up to uh, these days. According to Wikipedia, while at Harvard, uh, you majored in economics with the hope that you would eventually earn a degree. And uh, in 2010, it says you took a business class at McGill University in Montreal. In 2016, it was reported that you planned to return to Harvard later that year. Um, so I'm just curious, like outside of working with the team, what takes up most of your time nowadays? Yeah, so I'm, I'm working full-time at a strategy consulting firm in Boston. Uh, we focus on the TMT industry. Um, so yeah, that, that takes uh, most of my time. I'm there full-time. You know, I think you said I'm still with the Harvard team. I'm not, you know, given, you know, um, my current job. So, uh, but, you know, hopefully one day I'm, you know, I'm able to, you know, get back into the hockey world, whether it's coaching or management. But for now, working at a firm in Boston um, as my, I guess, my second career after hockey. Cool. Excellent. Yeah, it was uh, it was great having you on. You give a good perspective on on the NHL, and you have, like, a uni- you had a unique career path in the hockey world. So that's... Um, it's very cool that we had you on here and uh, got to share it with us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure, guys. Yeah, of course. All right. That'll do it for this special edition of the Lace Up Podcast. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Podcast. Show will be posted there uh, in a couple of days. Uh, Louie, uh, thanks again for your time. He's Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again soon on the Lace Up Podcast.